Hi. Hi again. Hi. So this is Tanya Cooper calling uh, on the town again. And I'm speaking with Lynn Tanini uh, from the Aging Out Institute. And um, we apologize for any inconvenience, uh, but we will pick up where we left off. Uh, I apologize, Lynn. <laughs> Um, oh, that's no but, problem. Yeah. Um, so we were saying, uh, let's see where we left off. Let's just go straight to, um, so, so many youth are in foster care. They don't have the support um, that, that they need and they struggle, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. is something that you wrote. Um, they tr- struggle with their transitional adulthood. Um, so what you do is provide a link for them to uh resources, community, and, and, and a system about, um, a system as a way of going, you know, going through um, this aging out process. So things like learning about uh, banking and, you know, how to met budget your money and how to go on a job interview, um, things like that. Uh, is there any, any other things, any skill, other skills that, that you guys cover that no one else covers? Well, I, I, it's, the curriculum that we're going to be building is still in development, but I definitely want to go to, you know, of course, educational types of skills, maybe mm-hmm. studying skills, like I said, how to how to get into and succeed in college, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have employment skills, the skills around, you know, how do you find a job in the first place, um, interviewing, how do you keep a job, you know, how do you work with your supervisors, how do you handle conflict, that kind of stuff. Oh, nice. Then, relationships that's one of our categories is tips and tricks on how to build strong relationships and to maintain strong relationships Um, so that's going to be not just you know male female or or whatever uh, lifestyle you have in that regard but just any relationships with somebody who can be a support for you yes yeah yeah and 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 then um, so those relationships um, housing how do you find a place to live? How do you find an apartment? Or maybe even how do you find a transition program that could help you get from where you are now to, you know, maybe your early 20s and to mm. help teach you those skills, but also just general life skills. And we haven't completely mapped out the whole curriculum, but, you know, how do you change a tire? Um, what are you supposed to do to upkeep a washer and dryer? You know, those types of things that generally parents teach their kids, right? but you don't often get it in the, the foster care situation that's amazing that's amazing so you talk about uh wanting to give back um and you know you did so by using your computer and project management skills um so um that was brilliant how how do we get more former foster youth to step up and do their share with their gifts and talents you know like a reach one teach one thing Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And it's something that, you know, maybe even Aging Out Institute could try to facilitate. But I'll tell you, there are a lot of youth out there who who are, you know, out of the system wanting to do something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these youth go and they get into social work. Yes. And so I already am seeing that to some degree, because they want to give back. They want to help kids who have been in the same situation they've been. So uh, there are a lot of former foster kids who are social workers. Yes. Um, So then, I mean, I think it's just a matter of maybe working with these young people while they're thinking about what they want to do to help them brainstorm Mm -hmm. and, you know, think, what are your skills? Where can you either connect with an organization that already exists or launch something yourself? 
Right, right. Because so what... I think it's really, yeah, I think it's a matter of kind of shepherding them to help yeah. them think about what to do. Because actually, starting a nonprofit is not really easy. Yeah, I so... did. I did one. I started one, and um, and it it, it it was nice, a nice challenge, but it made me, you know, made me mentally hustle and get things together because it's like, uh-huh. okay, I I did. I've been doing this for nine years, giving scholarships and gift boxes and mentoring to foster youth for more than that, actually, but really nine years. But um, on the record. About three or four years, we started Foster Kids Unite as a not 501c3 not-for-profit. I don't take a salary. Um, we give gift boxes, scholarships, and um, and we mentor to our, our youth um, that we have in our cipher. And we try to follow them even while they're in college to, until they finish and even some after. I have one girl. She's about to get her PhD. She's known me since she was 17. Uh, wow. So uh, that's it, it works, I think, if we you know, uh, stand by them and follow them through. So, but it was very important also that I had been in care and I know what's like, I went to NYU and some Quaker helped me or I wouldn't have had money for books. So I try to reach back and I try to teach our kids to reach back. Once you get your doctorates, your whatever it is, how can you be of service to someone else? You know, Uh Um, Uh and what do you, what do you think is the biggest challenge aged out foster youth are facing today aside from homelessness and couch surfing um before this happens uh you know where do you think we're dropping the ball well you know there unfortunately there's so many things mm-hmm. um but i think where one of the big things if you're talking about dropping the ball before they leave mm-hmm. is that the system does everything for these kids you know it's mm-hmm. they are often are not even given a chance to you know, go out on their own and be responsible for getting back at a certain time, you know, where they can go out and do things that, that the average youth does and, you know, maybe have a summer job, that type of thing. So many of these youth don't have the opportunity to go out and stretch their wings a little bit before they turn 18. Mm -hmm. So they, they turn 18 and they leave or 21, depending on where you are and they leave the system, but everything's been done for them. So, See, I think that depends have. on where you're at and who your foster parents are. Because my foster mother, she was no joke. Uh, she was like, <laughs> um, you will have a job at 14. And you, my first job was McDonald's. And, um, and I went, and she made me, uh, you know, the agency didn't care either way, but she made me go to BOCES, which is a program that you can do like a certification training. And she made me take um, childcare and health assistant. I got a thousand hours in both, $500 each. So I did a thousand hours so that when I left high school, if God else fails and I didn't get into a college for whatever reason, I can actually get viable work now. Mm-hmm. But that's because she was persistent. My foster mother, you know, she was a civil rights leader, best friends with Dr. King. So, you know, she was unusual for that. And so yeah, she, yeah. her mother and father died when she was like five or seven or something like that. So she mm-hmm. knew that life. She was lucky to have a grandpa that hooked her up and, you know, everything worked out good. She had her own house at 18. She's just a brilliant woman. But wow. she told me, nope, there was no way none of her kids were going to say they can't cook, clean, do laundry. Mm-hmm. We, she made us do all that all the time. And even when I lived in the group homes later, the one in Westchester didn't, didn't I don't remember anything but running around. I don't remember anything. But the one in, on uh, 60th Street, Manhattan, the nuns, I lived with six nuns, six counselors, and 23 girls, and they didn't play. You got a chore. You have to be <laughs> in by a certain time. You know, you got, you only get this amount of allowance. So you got to budget it. So, so it depends on where you're at. New York happens to be more progressive than other places, I find. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's unfortunately probably the exception rather than the rule based mm -hmm. on what I'm reading and research and what I'm hearing from organizations mm -hmm. um, who are working with these youth after they've left foster care mm -hmm. is they come out with so few life skills, okay. so few. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that is definitely a ball that's being dropped. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the housing, the employment, yeah. the uh, education, the all yeah. of that overlaps. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And they've got to start, uh, you know, when the if the, I think as soon as a kid comes in, they should be starting a plan immediately. Like it's sort of like when you go to rehab. So I was a rehab counselor. When they go to rehab, you know, we start a treatment plan right away. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like we, mm -hmm. we get that yep. going now. But let's see, how can we help this client? You know what I'm saying? So as soon as yep. they come in Absolutely. at five. I think that was going to lead to the next question. Why don't foster youth have a mandatory trust fund or account, such savings account that they can't touch until they leave? That way, even if they're transferring to different places, the money transfers to the different places and it's always accessible once they turn a certain age. Um, once yep. they age out, it should be. So if they're 18 and one stays to 21, maybe the money is stated to 21. Um, but something, because you know how many years, some, I've been in foster care since I was five years old. I stayed till I was 21. I had no money when I left. Nothing, nothing, Yep. you know, and, and it's, and it's you need same. money to get started. You need yeah. something to get, to get an apartment. You need yep. the, the deposit, you know, it's, yep. uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think yeah. if, if that's yeah. something that could be pushed yes. with um, politicians, I, I mean, I think, cause that would have to be probably a state decision. That's what I'm saying. I'm probably going to, I mean, I, I know one of our state guys over here, I, uh, one day I'm going to pull him aside and ask him, who do I go to go talk to to make this happen? And how many people do I need to signatures or whatever it is? Because that is so important. You know how many people, have, I have a friend, he was in all his life since he was a baby and he leaves there with nothing, nothing, but they're making billions of dollars off him. That doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I don't know how they can do that, but I'm sure they can if they, if they want to think about it and make miracles happen. Um, mm -hmm. Another, another question. So a lot's going on in the news. Uh, with Trump and DACA, uh, how bad do you think, um, well, before I get to that, how bad do you think aged out youth are affected by sex trafficking? Um, I definitely know it's, it's an issue. I know that it's, it's a problem. I, you know, I keep reading articles about that, that, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, the people who are predators here are looking for kids who are, yeah. who are, are looking for some kind of connection or looking for some kind of, um, somebody to say how great they are. And yeah. I think that's one way they lure them in is, yes. you know, they see these kids who are, who are a little needy yes. emotionally, who are, or angry or and whatever. No and to track, track what's happened to them. Yep. Yep. So I think that literally. the predators are looking for these kids who are, who are in foster care or leaving foster care. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately they know they, I'm sure it's easy for them to find out you know, where these programs are, they can probably keep an eye on who's going in and out. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah. not as easy maybe in suburbia than it is in a city, but I think that, that they're out there yeah, there knowing that these kids are easy targets. Yep. There was a place in, I thought it was Texas where the kids were aging out and the pimps and everybody was waiting by the door as soon as they got out waiting. Oh, I would believe it. I was like, that's disgusting. So yeah. that's why we at Foster Kids Unite, we try to, follow our youth no matter what's going on like I had one kid he was doing good in school then he had to leave because of money or something happened but I still follow him because he has nobody 
and he's couch surfing, but I try to keep track of him because, you know, he's one of those kids. So far, he has gotten the gangs, which I'm really proud of him about because that's, that's easy, too, to say, hey, yo, come with us and we'll make sure you always eat, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But if we don't track these kids, this is how they get susceptible to all these horrible acts, uh, in my yeah. opinion. So uh, it was just a thought that, that, you know, people might want to look into following through um not just saying here you're 18 bye see ya good life they should have oh, a yeah. 1-800 number that anybody that aged out um can call and get a resource or find a resource something you know um mm-hmm. that's a futuristic thing but it's one of the things uh and so i think if was- each yeah if each state had like an ombudsman yes you know s- somebody who could who could be that even in emergencies be that yeah. connection to the yeah. services and programs that they would need yeah, they have support groups for AA. They should have them for foster youth around the world. Yeah, you know yeah. that would help. Good idea. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to work. I'm working slow, slow, very slow. But uh, <laughs> another question: Do you think that DACA will increase the rate of foster youth, and do you think we are prepared to help them with language and cultural barrier barriers? I yeah, that's it's a, <laughs> so, no, it's a it's a good question because I've never really thought about that. Um, specific to DACA. I think if you're talking about immigration in general, I think, right. uh, I think, yes. I mean, if, if the kids are, are being separated mm-hmm. for whatever reason, not necessarily the immediate situation that everybody's hearing about, but if for some reason they have to be separated from, from their parents and they're not legal in the country, mm-hmm. I would imagine that they're going into the foster system until, you know, if, if they were living with family, let's say, Right. If they were living in family somewhere, and I would, I would imagine that these kids are going into foster care when things happen, and and they're no no longer being able to uh, be cared for. Um, actually, so I would imagine we're losing them. They lost fifteen, fourteen hundred of them. Lost. Them yeah, it, yeah, and so th- then that's a good question. Where where are they? Oh, uh, hello, but yeah, I think I think it depends on where you are, of course, whether or not you're ready to help them with the language issues. You yes. know, if yeah, that's true. Uh, I think the states that are closer to the Mexico border are better able to handle the cultural and language issues. If you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Wyoming or Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, you know, not as much. Right. So the question is, you know, if if the kids are being sent outside of these cultures cultural centers mm-hmm. you know then is there a way to help them or are they just being kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool yeah. which i mean you can certainly learn a language that way and then actually technically one of the best ways to learn a language so they That's certainly would learn english but you know, it's, it's dramatic. It's yes. shocking. Yeah. That's how our great grandparents learned. Uh, but, uh, I had a, um, one person, um, write in and say that, well, you know, you shouldn't be br- taking your kid and risking his life by bringing him to a border anyway. And so, so, you know, it's kind of like the parents fault. So I was like, well, I don't know. Cause I know if, if I'm living in a country that's not treating me like a human being and I'm making 10 cents an hour, I'm out of there. I don't care what I got to do. So I can't blame anybody who feels that their life is in danger and they have to do that, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I, I think that uh, the, the immigration, um, because of that whole thing, the numbers are definitely going to rise. And it, it's just sad because those are those are parents who want their kids. They're just in a bad situation, you know. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I, it's a hard, um, hard thing. But our time is almost up. But before oh, there's one more question I have for you. Do you mind? No, no. So the, uh, 
uh, what is the, hmm, well, <clears throat> what is the best advice uh, that you can give to anyone listening that is a foster parent or owns a company um, in reference to like, you know, internship jobs, mentoring, any advice for them? Anyone listening, if I owned a company or if I was a <laughs> I think um, one of the things that I would say is that there are a lot of um, really effective um, strategies, programs that already exist that are seeing success. So rather than trying to just start from scratch on your own, mm-hmm. you know, go to the research, mm-hmm. talk to these organizations that are, you know, in the news and being applauded for what they're doing mm-hmm. and find out what they're doing so that you can turn around and start duplicating those strategies and having a better chance of being successful with your youth. Because I think a lot of organizations, they start small mm-hmm. and they, everybody wants to do good things, but they're not necessarily benchmarking with the organizations that have proven that they know what to do and how to do it well. So that would be a a piece of advice that I have is to really look to those organizations, look to the research to build your programs and your strategies. Hmm. Very good idea. Thank you. And, um, and so lastly, I always say that, um, you know, my famous quote that I made up was, uh, you never know when you're going to encounter a youth without a parent. Uh, so, so many, um, you know, because of the shootings, because of the earth tragedies like earthquakes, drunk driving, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina's type thing, and now the opioid addiction and people have oh, yeah. on a new one, K two and crystal meth, and there's some there's one you know salt salt bath salts. I mean, oh my gosh, you got so many things that are just literally catapulting people into foster care that never was mm-hmm. usually, you know, it was a process or something happened or was breakdown. Now it's just yep. a car accident all the parents died except for the two kids, you know? Uh, so now what do you think? Uh, um, how do you say it? Uh, uh, do you think um, there's any, uh, any advice you can give to anyone that may have just came into foster care or has to come in for some, well, it doesn't matter why, if you, if you're in there, you're just in there. That's how I feel. But any advice? That you can for, for the kids? Yeah, for the kids and then for the parents, for the foster parent. Yeah, I think, and thinking back to my own situation, of course, is, mm-hmm. you know, every kid's needs are, are unique. Mm-hmm. Um, there, of course, there are general needs too, but I think it's really a matter of, of listening mm-hmm. and caring mm-hmm more than structuring. I mean, structuring is great and every kid needs structure, but I think what they need more is to know that they're cared about. Oh, that's brilliant. To to know that somebody's there for them. And I think if they had that connection, or at least if, you know, if they felt that there was somebody there okay that cared about them, Mm -hmm. they could do a better job dealing with being in the foster situation, which is traumatic to begin with. Yes, absolutely. Um, But I don't think structure is the answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a great, hello, are you there? Yep, yep, I'm here. That's great, that's a great advice. Uh, So we have to wrap it up, but we can find you guys on Twitter and Facebook. Where can we find uh, Aging Out? Yes, Aging Out Institute um, is definitely on Facebook. Um, I think it's Aging Out Inst, I-N-S-T on Twitter. Okay. Uh, But then we're also at agingoutinstitute.org. That's our website and you can come learn about what what we are doing and soon we'll announce our award winners. And then later this year, we're going to be actually starting our membership 
um, programs so that people can join Aging Out Institute and have access to all of the write-ups of the award-winning programs okay. and other, other research that we're going to be doing on our own. So that's oh. going to be starting later this year. Oh, we thank you so much. Um, you're, you're, thank you very much, Lynn. Uh, you're listening to Lynn Tanini, uh, the uh, founder of the Institute for Aging Out. And um, this is your host, Tanya Cooper. You're listening to On the Town for Foster Kids Unite Incorporated. And we thank you all for listening. We thank you again, Len. And uh, we will be checking out the website. And um, anyone has any questions, you're always free to call in uh, to 914-646-463. And I hope you all have a great day. Thank you, Len. Hey, thank you very much. All right. I'll let you, I'll send you the link. Bye-bye. Hi, Lynn. This is uh, Tanya Cooper calling from On the Town, uh, Foster Kids Unite. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you. For, uh, for our viewers who are listening, you're listening to On the Town with Tanya Cooper. Uh, we are podcasting for Foster Kids Unite Incorporated. Uh, and we have our special guest today, uh, Lynn Tioni. Did I say that correct, Lynn? It's, a, it's Tonini. Tonini, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, oh, problems. And uh, so you are the director or founder of, uh, of Audio, uh, Audio Institute, I'm thinking of the wrong school, hello, uh, <laughs> Aging Out Institute, sorry, I apologize. Yes, that is correct, Aging Out Institute. Okay, please tell us, tell us more about um, what uh, Aging Out Institute is exactly. Well, Aging Out Institute is a, an organization that was put together to try to support and help the people who work with foster youth. Mm -hmm. So it's a resource um, and it's, it's growing slowly and providing different services and activities over time. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we do is we have a database of services around the country. So if you go to agingoutinstitute.org mm -hmm. and you click on search, you can look for programs in your state that provide services to youth who are, who are going to be aging out or who have already aged out. So that's one thing we do. Um, we also have an awards program that was just launched this year, and we're actually very close to announcing the winners for this first year's awards program, mm -hmm. recognizing organizations that are doing great things to help kids um, prepare for aging out or to support them after they've aged out. Oh. Um, and we have other things planned for the future, but, you know, again, by doing that, we're recognizing and writing up strategies that people mm -hmm. are using in these organizations so that others can learn from them. Okay. Now, does your organization also cover things like housing, education, employment? We don't directly. So we don't work directly with youth to, uh, okay. to support them in these areas. But like I said, we're, we're trying to really gather those best practices and those strategies that are mm -hmm. actually effective and trying okay. to spread those around the country so that more and more organizations start using them. So you, you're like a link between uh, the aged out, uh, aging out person or the social worker and the actual um, and uh, and different organizations to to be one source pool from that someone can can uh, go to and get information on something. Yes. Yes. And, re and research. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So research too. I've I believe that Aging Out Institute has the largest collection of research that's dedicated mm -hmm. to um, 
researching and finding out what's actually working and happening with youth. Um, and I'm not saying that we're doing the research, but we've gone out and we've collected research that other universities and organizations have done so that you can come here as a one-stop shop. If you're looking mm -hmm. for research, you can mm -hmm. find a ton of it here. Now, where do you gather your um, information from? Do you have contact to every agency in the United States or, or do you have just certain ones? How does that work? Well, it, it has been uh, mostly an opt-in where people uh, who are working for organizations that work with these youth, they come to my website, they go on to a form that they fill out and they explain exactly what they do and they hit submit and then it's in our database. So most of it's oh, been nice. opt-in. Hmm. Very nice. Um, I'm trying to think if Foster Kids United ever signed up. Uh, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, because, yeah, please. Uh, that's uh, a big thing um, that I think that... Uh, you know, you have to take your skill and do whatever you can with it. So that's really great that you took your skill uh, and made it into something that's accessible for the other foster youth um, and make their life just a little bit easier. Tell mm -hmm. us about um, AOI Life Skills Curriculum. Oh, yes. That's the next step um, in our plan. So uh, my background actually professionally is uh, training and development. And developing online training is part of that. So um, one of the things that's going to be happening here soon is we're going to start developing a curriculum, an online curriculum of short, it's called micro learning. So you're learning like one skill at a time through these short training videos, if you will, mm -hmm. with, um, with workbooks and things that either a social worker or a foster parent can walk through with a youth or a mentor or a youth could actually take it on their own. So it's gonna be developed in a way so that they could come in and they're like, okay, well, we're looking for financial skills or we're looking for how to get into college or we're looking for um, you know, how, to, how to find a job. Those are the okay. types of things that we're gonna put out there online so mm -hmm. that these youth could have a curriculum to go through um, to, be, to be better prepared. Okay, now that's a good idea. Did you, um, or are you, will you be linking up with like, let's say, um, let's say somebody, the head of a bank, how to do that quick, short, quick um, video, um, or, or um, what's the other one? Um, you know, different, different motive, I mean, not motives, um, you know, different organizations mm -hmm. to, to achieve that goal. Um, to make the short videos because um, you know the kids attention span is very short these days yeah exactly so that's why yeah, i'm going yeah, for the yeah. micro learning aspect yeah right? yeah they don't want to read either they don't yeah. want to read and they're very very short uh very short um attention span and they they like to google everything and learn in five seconds what it is and not yep. 20 minutes so and that's <laughs> what we're really trying to get at is you know you can learn a short skill that might be a string of skills but you can learn one go away come back, learn another, go away, come back, you know, that kind of thing, rather than having okay. to sit through an hour of online training. Okay. Uh, but yes, to answer your question exactly, I will find experts out there who, okay. um, who are wanting to work with us to build these training programs. In fact, I have a meeting this month with a gentleman from Dickinson University in Pennsylvania to discuss the possibility of them helping us build some of the education, higher education focused um, training programs. Nice. Don't forget to leave out a young person when you uh, when you actually get it together and say, you know, use their opinion because they know what will what will fly and what won't. Um, exactly. Unless it's geared for the foster parents, then that's a different audience and that's a different that's a different thing. But I think um, that's a great idea, uh, and because uh, everything's on the app now, everything's on the phone. Mm -hmm. I apologize for my doggy there. Um, <laughs> everything's uh, 
you know, quick and fast in a hurry. Um, so, so yourself, um, I see that you also grew up in foster care. Can you tell us a brief, um, brief, a brief uh, background on that? Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I didn't grow up in foster care. I actually went oh. into foster care um, at the beginning of my 10th grade year. Mm-hmm. Uh, without going into details, things fell apart. And, um, and my younger sister and I went into foster care. Um, we actually ended up living in, and this was down in North Carolina. We lived in a group home. We lived in a youth shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually lived with our grandmother for a short period of time. And then we ended up with a foster parent, um, a foster parents, a couple in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. who were foster parents in the Pennsylvania system, but they actually also happened to be related to my aunt. Oh, so okay. through marriage, I actually, I'm not technically related to them, but they were part of the extended family. So they had a connection to us. Oh. Um, so, you know, a couple of years in group homes and with, with our grandmother and then finally my senior year and then until I turned 18 with uh, with this couple, wonderful couple in, in mm-hmm. So you were in, so you were, you know, well, I guess a Kendrick, technically Kendrick care and foster care uh, for probably like eight years total? Well, t- 10th grade, no, it was like 15 years old. Um, trying oh. to think how young i might have i might have even still been 14 at the beginning of 10th grade oh oh no i was just trying to see if you went so you went back home actually to your parents um after i turned 18 oh no no yeah yeah i was just i was just trying to see uh how long you were in not that it matters that doesn't make a difference either way it was just the thought um yeah so our viewers would know um i see what you're saying i see what you're saying no when i turned 18 we stayed um with the foster couple who had taken us in and um, we actually, my sister and I went to college. She was with them an extra year. I went to college. And then over summers, we came back and stayed with them. Okay. Um, and after I graduated from college, I was basically out on my own. Uh, not that I was kicked out, but I was starting to live my life. So Right, right, right. That's like me. Well, um, what, um, um, and you said your uncle had helped facilitate that. Do you know why he wasn't able to take you? You know, it, it's an excellent question. I never actually asked him, but here was his mm-hmm. situation. He and his wife, my aunt, already had three teenagers, all boys, and they had okay. a small house. Oh, okay, no, that makes sense. That totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And the fact that he facilitated was amazing anyway. I mean, I had uh, like 11 aunts and uncles and uh, well, I heard they did try, but my mother was very ornery. She was an alcoholic, you know, she was a heroin addict, so that's possible. Mm -hmm. And she told them not to take us out of foster care. So, and looking back, I'm kind of glad she didn't. Uh, I hear some of the family stories. I'm like, okay, well, this was a good deal. I got to go to private school and I you know, I, I grew up in a suburb uh, after being in group homes, orphanages, whatever, and being moved around. I finally ended up somewhere at seven and stayed till I was 18. Um, so although I was, you know, being sexually abused from like, you know, nine to 15. Um, but overall, the house itself, my parents themselves were awesome. These are two of my foster brothers that were the monsters. Oh. Um, so, um, so, you know, go figure. You could, I mean, I always still say, it still was better than being in the orphanage that I was in. You have a thousand kids running around and no one paying attention to you. I think, I think at some point I probably would have ran into sexual abuse anyway. Yeah. So uh, yeah. in my opinion, uh, I just feel like um, it still was better for me in my situation that I was still in there. I hated being separated from my siblings. Uh, mm-hmm. You're lucky you got to stay with your sister. Yes. Yes. That's miraculous actually. Definitely. Well, I had an older sister who was not, uh, she was already out of the house. So um, oh. I was kind of separated from her because she kind of aligned with my mother. Oh, and, okay. and so I actually didn't see her for, for many years. 
Oh, okay. So, so wow. So, did, did you reunite anytime? Yeah, as adults, uh, we, we mended some fences and we were able to, um, you know, we spend time together. As, now we live kind of all sort of close to each other and we do spend time together, but I can't say that we're super close. Okay, um, unless you try, that's all that matters. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it, it worked out. It, you know, when I became an adult and I realized, you know, she can't do anything to me anymore. Right. Right. There yeah, you go. I was able to forgive her and, and then we were able to get past it. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's what it's about. I mean, you know, if you live through something, only, only thing I never forgive for, for any foster care, for anyone, um, any family, even they didn't make it foster care is uh, when it's sexual abuse, that's not forgivable at all. Yeah. You know, anything else pretty much can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really particularly think even beating kids. I don't even think that is I'm a Quaker, but even before being a Quaker, I, I just think someone, you know, who give their kids a shine.